Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. As this summer we are continuing to look at this series in the life of Jacob, particularly examining how God's grace abounds in the lives of people who really don't deserve for God's grace to abound in. This is the story of Jacob. We're going to follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac, and we're going to read almost the whole chapter here. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put in his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to your father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau, or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize them because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. But he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed them, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, 
when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, Who was it then? who hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered him and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you. All his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be present and conspicuously present in this moment, Lord, that you would open up your word to us. Father, that we would set our eyes on you, that we would see you and worship you and trust in you and live for you because of your word being ministered in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jim and his buddy decided that they were going to fly from the Gulf Coast of Florida to the Atlantic Coast of Florida in order to spend the day together. It had been a while since they'd seen each other, so they got into the airplane and flew, flew across Florida. Spent the day in Florida touring around, going to a couple of restaurants to eat, and when the evening came, they got back into their airplane and started flying back across Florida in order to get home. As they, began to, as they got into their flight, soon they hit severe turbulence and severe wind shear, and the airplane began to go out of control. Immediately, Jim started trying to do everything that he could do to regain control of the airplane, but it didn't work. Terror began to grip him as the airplane was out of control, and he did not know what he could do or how to re- regain control of the aircraft. You know, there are many situations that we face in life that quite simply are completely out of our control. There are situations that we face in terms of what's going to happen in the future, what things are going to come across our path with illness or challenges, what things are going to happen in our marriage and as our marriages and family develops, things that are completely out of our control by decisions that other people make, by the decisions that our spouses make, by decisions that other people make that influence us, by decisions that our kids make, and decisions that are before us in situations that are completely outside of our control. 
And every time these situations come across us, there seems to be this very large part of us that desperately wants to grab hold and seize control of something that is fundamentally out of our control. What this passage here shows us is that it's foolish to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. For whenever it is that we are faced with these choices, we are faced with the choice of whether or not we are going to trust in God, trust that he has a plan, live our lives in integrity before him, or we are going to try to seize control and do it ourselves. This text shows us that it is foolish to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. We're going to examine the four characters here in the story. Four characters who are all seeking to respond to a situation that is out of control before them. We're going to begin with Jacob here in this picture. There we go. Did you do that or did I do that? I'm good. Okay. Um, we're going to begin here with Jacob. This is a painting by one of Rembrandt's students. Jacob here who's dressed up as this hairy man before his father. And what Jacob teaches us in this passage is that it is foolish to disregard God's plan. You see, Jacob seems to be one who lives life by a Ben Franklin theology. He seems to hold to the view that the view that is so prominent in America is actually one of the most identified Bible verses in America, which says that God helps those who help themselves. But it's a verse that doesn't come from the Bible, but rather comes from Ben Franklin. And apparently Jacob was one who seemed to abide by this type of thinking. You see, Jacob surely knew of the prophecy that was given that we examined last week. He knew that even though he was the younger brother of he and his twin brother Esau, he was the younger. He knew that, and he also knew this prophecy that said that, um, this prophecy that was given to Jacob and Esau's mother, Rebekah, when she was pregnant. And the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And certainly Jacob knew about this. He knew that there was a prophecy that he was going to be the greater of the two, that he was going to be the one that was going to receive the Lord's blessing. And what happened for Jacob is that Jacob knew the end, but he didn't know the means. He knew what was eventually going to happen, but he did not know how that was going to happen. And Jacob is at a point in his life where he decides What is going to happen here that if any blessing is going to come in my life, if any of God's promises are going to be fulfilled in my life, if I'm going to get anything in life that I want, well, God helps those who help themselves. You see, Jacob at this point is beginning to panic when he hears the news of what's going on. Now, why would Jacob be panicking? Now, last week we looked in Genesis chapter 25, the last story about Jacob. We knew about Jacob, we saw the story of his birth, and we saw the story of of him when he was um, when he got his, when he swindled his brother's birthright as they were both men, and we come to this passage here, and what we see and what we know and what most scholars comment on is that Jacob is not a young man in this passage. In fact, many scholars estimate that Jacob was probably in his mid seventies at this point, and in his mid seventies he looks back over the course of his life and he says, "You know what? Things haven't turned out the way that I thought things were going to turn out." Things haven't happened the way that things were supposed to happen. 
And we look around, he says, I'm not a young man anymore. My brother Esau, well, he went off and he got married to two Hittite women who are these people that don't worship God. And they've been causing tension and turmoil in the family. And here is Jacob, who's just at home waiting. And he's waiting for God's promise to come through. He's waiting for God's blessing to be realized in his life. And as he's waiting... And as he's sitting around in his tents, he's listening to his mom say to him again and again, Oh, Jacob, don't worry. God gave me this prophecy. He's going to bless you. It's going to happen. But do you know what? Jacob's in his 70s, and it hasn't happened yet. God hasn't acted. And if God's going to help me, well, I guess I'm going to need to help myself. So Jacob thinks. Well, then something does happen for Jacob. His mother comes to him. Rebecca comes to him and says, You wouldn't believe it. I just overheard that your father Isaac is going to give the blessing, which is supposed to be for you, I'm going to give the blessing, that he is going to give the blessing to Esau instead of to you. Here, listen to this plan that I've come up with so that you can get it instead of him. And there Jacob is faced with a decision. Should he do it or should he not? Well, you know, God helps those who help themselves, does he not? And so the challenge for Jacob at this moment is to trust. Is he going to trust in God, or is he going to disregard God's plan? Is he going to hijack it? Is he going to listen to some plan by somebody else, his mother, who he thinks is a better option than what what God has said, and is he going to take control of the situation? You see, there are so many situations in life where we are faced with this same question. Am I going to trust in God, or am I going to trust in myself? and disregard God's plan, disregard God's word, and do it in my own way. You could easily apply this in many different realms. You can apply it in the realm of our money. Are we honest with our taxes? Are we trusting God with our giving and with our tithing? Are we determined to take control of it our own? We could go in the directions of matters of integrity where we're faced with decisions and challenging situations in the workplace or with extended family members. And, you know, just a little deception would help us. And if we told the truth, it might actually hurt us. Again, are we going to trust in God or trust myself? I'm going to focus here in a different area, and that is in our relationships. That within each one of us, there is a deep longing to be in a relationship and to have a relationship, to get married to someone who loves us and who cherishes us and who respects us. A deep longing to have someone value us who think we're significant and think that we're worthwhile. And there's the question. Are you going to trust God to bring the right person into your life? Are you going to go and seize it yourself and disregard God's plan and God's teaching? It is a great battle, I think particularly for those who are not married. And the longing to be married can be incredibly intense. A deep yearning for it to come about, to be married to someone who will love and respect and cherish you. And yet so often what happens is people and those Christians are longing to get married is that someone comes along and they're like, well, you know what, this person, well, they make me feel, you know, I really like the way they make me feel. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not a Christian, but we're just, we're just hanging out. We're just becoming friends. We're just going out for coffee together. Well, I, I mean, I figured if I start to bring them to church and we're dating each other, then this person will become a Christian by the time that we're dating each other. And then they say, well, we're relationships progressing. We say, well, well if, I, if we get married, we'll go to church together, and then that's when it's going to happen. We'll be married, and then we'll do it, because I really respect your faith, and I respect you. And I've never been to church before in my life, and I've never been to church while I've been dating. But if we get married, then that's when we'll start going to church, and that's when I'll start to take my faith seriously. And it never happens. And it never happens. 
And there people are forced, as they're wrestling with the intensity of that emotion, going on saying, okay, am I going to trust God and follow his word? Or am I going to say, no, this is really what I want, and God's not giving me what I want, so I'm going to figure out, I'm going to make it happen myself. But the same thing happens for married people. People get married to one another. They think they've married Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or they've convinced themselves that they've married Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And then the relationship progresses, and they go through their married years together, and they start driving each other nuts, and there's challenges and challenges with their kids or extenuating family. And he's like, wait a second, I thought I married the person who was going to make me happy, but all she does is nag me. She drives me nuts. All she does is criticize me. And meanwhile, she's thinking, I do everything around here. He doesn't do anything. He leaves it all up to me. Where is he? Why doesn't he help out? Why doesn't he do this? And then, you know, so long, you're at the park one day, and you meet somebody else there. That person gives you attention. They start to listen to you. And you're like, oh, I've just been yearning for someone just to, just to hear me out. And this person starts to do that. Or for others, it's not a real person, but they, you know, they comfort themselves and two-dimensional images of someone in some fantasy land of someone who will respect you and do what you want or whatever. And there it is, the same decision that Jacob is faced with, the same decision that we're faced with in so many different areas. Am I going to trust in God? Am I going to live my life in accord with God's plan? Or am I going to disregard what God says? Am I going to disregard his promises? And am I going to take control, seize it myself, and go my own pathway? And Jacob here decides that God helps those who help themselves in this non-biblical theology, and he goes off and he follows Rebecca's deceptive plan. Now notice what happens and how, I mean, just the extent of the deception that Jacob brings about as he disregards God's plan for his life. Here's what happens. So he went into his father and he says, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? This doesn't make sense, Isaac is saying. This isn't quite right. Nobody goes out and hunts and prepares food and skins the animal and gets it and cooks it and brings it back in this amount of time. This is, something's not right here, Isaac is saying. How is it that you have found it so quickly? And he answers, well, because the Lord your God granted me success. Jesus is how it happened. That answer always seems to work. And so then it goes on and says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to his father who felt him and said, Wait a second. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Is that he touches them. It's like this still isn't adding up. Let me, it doesn't make sense what's happening here. He says his name is Esau, but he sounds like Jacob. How he was so successful doesn't seem to make sense. Let me touch him. Well, my calloused hands seem to make think that his hairy goat hands are actually his brother's hands. This is beginning to work. Okay. And then the test continues. Are you really my son Esau? This isn't making sense. I am. And he says, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he drank, tastes like the cooking of my son, and he brought him wine and drink. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And the next verse says, and he smelled him, and he smelled like the wilds of the field. He's like, you stink like my son Esau stinks. You must really, you must really be my son. 
in all these ways, this devious plan to deceive him. And there Jacob. Is he going to trust God or is he going to trust himself? And so Jacob decides that he's going to take control, disregards God's plan, and head down the sinful course. And whenever there is sin, there are always consequences for it. And the consequences that ensued for Jacob were, as one, the deception of his father, the deception of his brother, who in turn hates him and swears his murder, the him, Jacob himself needing to flee into exile because of what he has done, and then his beloved mother, who has this relationship with him, is that he goes into exile and he will not see his mother again before she dies. And the trust in this family has completely been destroyed. And the relationship with God, if it was there, is evidently non-existent. You see what the, Jacob shows us, is that it is foolish to disregard the plans of God. And it calls us to trust in God's plan, even when God's plan is not our plan. Secondly, it's foolish to deny God's plan. We see this in Rebecca, who is in the, quarter, in the shadows of the picture there in the painting. And Rebecca looks at the situation and she's saying, wait a second, this isn't my plan. And because this isn't my plan, therefore this must not be God's plan. Now, Rebecca, why would she think this way? Well, Rebecca was given this prophecy from years before that the, younger, that the younger would be greater than the older. And Rebecca thought she knew the details of how this was going to work out. And so she's saying, wait a second, God's plan isn't being fulfilled in the way that I have figured that God's plan would be fulfilled. This isn't going according to my plan, therefore it must not be working according to God's plan. So she's going to bring it back into alignment to help God do what he's supposed to be doing here. You've got to look at these situations and say, does this kind of manipulation ever not involve sin? I mean, ever. This kind of situation, I don't like what God's doing. I'm going to disregard it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to take control. Does it ever not involve sin? I mean, I suppose theoretically it might happen in the abstract, but no. No. And so here we have this situation with Rebecca going forward just to deny God's plan altogether. And he shows us that we must trust that God has a plan even when his plan's not our plan. But there's a second reason why Rebecca goes forward with this, and it's actually a much worse reason than the fact that God had given her a prophecy. And the second reason why, God, why, would, why Rebecca would want to deny God's plan in this situation and go through this deception is this. At the end of um, verse, this is verse 28, is this, is that Isaac, this is after they were born and the prophecy had been given, said Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Why is she so upset? Because this is her favorite child. Because she is jealous for her, the child for whom she favors over the rest of her kids. And she is jealous for him. And she, I mean, just imagine what thoughts might have gone through her mind as she walks past the tent of Isaac, hearing him going to bless Esau. That is just like Isaac. He always does things like this. He is always favoring Isaac, and he, or he's always favoring Esau, and he never gives Jacob the things that he does. He knows it's not supposed to work out this way, and there he goes doing his own thing all over again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so she sees this because of her jealousy for her son. And she schemes to get it. 
And so she says some remarkable things. She says, now therefore, my son, to Jacob, my son, obey my voice as I command you. I'm taking charge. God doesn't have a plan here. Mama does. Watch out. I'm going to make it happen. And his mother said to him, and she go, he goes, well, what happens if it backfires and I get caught? And she says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of your dad. I'll take care of the consequences. I'll take care of everything. If there's a curse, the curse is going to be on me, not on you. Let your curse be on me, my son. I've got it covered. Only obey my voice. Go and bring them to me. And there she is, heading off down this path, denying God's plan because it wasn't her plan. You know, I went to a high school. I was in a very competitive high school. And one of the you know, it just amazed me when I was in high school, and it still amazes me because the same pattern is true today, of how many times I saw parents take, completely take the consequences for their kids. I mean, parents that I knew who would lie under oath in court about things that their kids would do, had done, so that their children would not have to suffer any of the consequences of their actions. Of parents who would engage in deceptive activities, who would lie, cheat, and steal. Why? Because I love my kids so much. That's why I do it. I just love them so much. Who would go and do all kinds of things, seizing control, I mean, demonstrating a complete and total trust in themselves and not, not in God. And there as they do that, as parents do that, as Rebecca did that here with Jacob, it's a lost opportunity. A lost opportunity to model integrity when life doesn't go the way that you want life to go. A lost opportunity for there to be an acceptance of responsibility that, yes, your actions matter and there are consequences in your, in your actions. A lost opportunity to say, there is a God who is sovereign over all, who, has, who is in control of all things, and it is in him we trust. It is in him who's, that we put our faith. And that opportunity was lost. And so Rebecca's schemes... Her plan, actually, you know, her plan seems to work, but again, not without its consequences. Her relationship with her husband is um, further destroyed. Her relationship with her older son is further estranged, and her relationship with her beloved younger son as he is sent into exile, and she never sees him again before he dies, before she dies, rather. What Rebecca teaches us is to not deny that God has a plan, to not, de- to not deny that God has a plan, but to live lives of integrity, trusting that God has a plan even when God's plan apparently is different from our plan. It's foolish to deny God's plan. Third item, we look at Esau. It's foolish to decry the plans of God or to despise the plans of God. We look at Esau in this passage and say, is there kind of, do we have some sympathy for this guy? I mean, this guy, he loses his birthright, you know, and then he gets hosed again, right? What about Esau? Should we have sympathy for him, particularly when you hear his anguish in these passages? Verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. In verse 36, he said, is he not rightly named Jacob, that deceiver, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said to his father, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And then again, he says to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And then Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. You shall live your life by the sword. When you get sick of your brother, you're going to break his neck. That's as good as it's going to get for you. Well, should we have sympathy for him? 
Scripture warns us that no. That Esau is here and is, teaches us that Esau is a warning. And the reason why Esau is a warning, because as we saw last week, when Esau traded in his birthright, when he saw no value in it, and that Esau despised his birthright, it wasn't simply an issue of him despising some sort of material blessing. It was that Esau was despising the things of God. He was despising the promises of God. He was despising the way that God called them to live before them. He said, I don't want to have anything to do that. That doesn't get me what I want right now. And he despised those things. And, you know, Esau was one who grew up, I mean, in the, you know, I mean, in the family of God. He grew up with Isaac as his father and Abraham as his grandfather, who was alive for a good portion of his life. And what happened to Esau as he grew up in that home? Is he decried the things of God. He despised them. Is that when, his, when he'd go to church or when they'd have a worship service and they'd hear about God's promise and God's blessing, he's like, I don't want to listen to that. When he hear about the things that God was going to do, he'd be like, this is just so annoying. When can we be done and get out of here? When his parents would pray, he'd be like, I don't want to pray. Let me just see if I can just do what I need to do so they don't notice that I'm not praying, but I'm not going to pray right now because I don't want to pray. That he despised the things of God. And the reason why Esau is so distraught here is because he's beginning to experience the consequences of his rejection of God, despite being one for whom these promises would have applied. And again, Esau serves as a warning as we began to see last week. He is a warning in particular for those and for children and those of us who have been raised in God-fearing families. Families that you go to church that you hear of God's faithfulness, you have parents who pray, who talk about the blessings that come through a relationship with Jesus, and you are sitting there at your home, you're like, I don't want to listen to this. What does that do for me right now? I I don't really care. When can I get out of here? When can this be done? When can I do enough so that that people can stop bugging me about the promises of God? Because frankly, I don't care about those things. And quite quite simply, for me personally, it, it is a source of, I mean, fear and concern for those of you who come here every Sunday and who despise the things of God and the things that are said in church and the things that are said in your home. And Scripture gives Esau a warning to not be like him and to not despise the promises of God and so be estranged from them, not only in your life but for all eternity. Forced character. Let's look at Isaac where he teaches us it is foolish to defy God's plan. Isaac here, who kind of seems like the dim-witted fool in the situation, is quite the opposite. You see, Isaac determines, going into this story, Isaac determines that he is going to defy God's plan. Isaac knew what God's plan was, and he didn't like it, and he decides he's going to defy it. Is that despite the prophecy which he surely would have known, despite the transaction of the birthright, which he also most certainly would have known. Here he comes, deciding to give the blessing, and he only invites Esau in, not all of his kids. And not only does he only invite Esau in, but this, this traditionally, when the blessing of a father is going on, this is a, this is a, a public celebration. It's a time to honor the preceding generations. It's also a time of a social contract and a social covenant. 
Because what happened is that you brought all of the sons in and other people and other witnesses so that everybody could hear the social contract that was about to be enacted. So you had witnesses to it so that the wishes of the one who was about to die would actually be carried out. But Isaac knows that that's how it's supposed to work and he decides to not do that. Instead, what Isaac does is he only calls Esau in and he decides that he's going to call Esau in for a private and secret ceremony so that he can do things the way that he wanted them to do and against God's plan, which he knew and he having known what that was. And Isaac thought that he had actually succeeded in the situation. He thought that he had actually gotten and successfully defied God's plan. Let's pause there just for a second. Have you noticed another character who is just conspicuously absent in this story? Namely, God? Who, in this whole chapter, no, not one, no, none of these characters ever seek God. God's not even mentioned in the chapter except when Jacob says, it is the Lord your God who gave me the blessing to bring you this food in his deception. God's not even mentioned in this chapter, barely. And instead what happens is that despite all these people trying to coerce, manipulate, decry, defy, despise, hijack God's plan, as they're all trying to weave and intersect and do their own thing and take control and sin and counter sin against one another, guess what happens? God's plan occurs. God wins. God's plan still works out in the midst of the deception of all these people. And that is remarkable, to see God's grace abounding in the lives of deceptive people. And so what happens to Isaac is that Isaac foolishly tries to defy God's plan, but he completely fails to do so. And in fact, he in turn enacts it. And I think we begin to see the realization of this in verse 33. It says, when Esau came back in, verse 33, it says, Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac trembled very violently. Why was he trembling so violently? I think in part it's because Isaac knew he had done something that he shouldn't have done. And his plan became unraveled, and he saw that he failed at it. And what's interesting in Isaac here is that as he begins to realize that he has failed to defy God's plan, he flip-flops. And instead he fully complies with God's plan. And he, and he spins the thing right around, is that it's remarkable, I think, at least in a 21st century environment, that Isaac never is really upset at Jacob. And in fact, he only goes on to bless him further. He's never saying, wait a second, this isn't right because Jacob deceived me and I really meant it to go to this guy and this doesn't work out this way. He doesn't do that. I think that's because Isaac is realizing his own deception in the situation of his own failure to defy God's plan, and when he realizes that he in turn and sees that God is working out his plan, that he fully complies with it. And so he says here, he says, listen, Isaac trembled violently. And then he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. Yes, the blessing that I gave to Jacob stands. And then he sees it further in verse 35. He says, your brother came deceitfully. How does he know it was his brother? Because he recognized his voice. The last situation didn't make sense. Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Your blessing is gone. He's complying with it now at this point. And then Esau's saying, don't I get any blessing? And instead he invokes this curse upon him. And he says, listen, your blessing 
is that away from the fatness of the earth, away from everything that is good, you're going to live your life by the sword, you're going to be a freedom fighter, and maybe one day when, he, you know, when your nations come out, eventually you're going to break his yoke upon you. That's as good as it gets for you, Esau. And then further what we see is that in the next interaction between Jacob and Isaac, Jacob, Isaac actually bestows the promise of Abraham upon him. At the beginning of chapter 28, verses 1 through 5, Isaac says to Jacob, as Jacob is getting sent off to go find a wife in exile because his brother Esau hates him and is trying to kill him. And Isaac gives him this blessing. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples that's echoing the promise given to Abraham and to Isaac. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. You see what happens now? is that Isaac finally submits himself to God and says, okay, God, your plan, my plan is not your plan, but I'm on board with your plan right now. And Isaac embraces that God had one plan of blessing. And the same is true today. Because the same promise that went to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, continues on down the line and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And yet, it is so true today that people are seeking other plans of blessing in their life, even though there is no other option. There are people who think that God's blessing is going to come through them because God helps those who help themselves, and so they help, if they help themselves enough, eventually they'll get God's blessing. There are people who think that they're going to get God's blessing through a relationship with another person. There are people who think that they're going to get God's blessing by having enough money or being successful enough. There are people who think they're going to get God's blessing in their life because if I'm just a good enough person, if I'm just a good enough person, then God has to accept me. But that's not the pathway of God's blessing. Isaac thought that he could get the pathway of God's blessing because Esau cooked good food. That wasn't it either. But there was one plan of blessing. There was one plan of blessing, there was one promise, and that blessing and promise now continues from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob on down the line through Jesus Christ and is offered to you only through him. That the only pathway of God's promise and blessing in your life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. To turning and believing that yes, he is the one who died on the cross and rose from the grave so that our sin and guilt would be forgiven, and that you could have life now of your sins forgiven, of your guilt removed, of your shame covered with dignity, and a life abundant not only in eternity but beginning right now. And that comes by turning and saying, I believe in the promise of God through Jesus Christ. And then turning and living your life in response to it by saying, God, I've tried my own way. I've tried going my own course, and you know what? I think I've hit my face on the ground enough to learn that it's not working. But sometimes I think it does. But there is one source of blessing. It is through Jesus Christ and through living your life in response to him. As the airplane went back across from the east coast to the west coast of Florida and continued to fly out of control, Jim was doing everything that he could to regain control of the airplane. Except there was a fundamental problem for Jim, is that he never was in control of the airplane. He was a passenger and not a pilot. And as he looked upon the pilot, the pilot just adjusted the knobs and dealt with the wind shear, and pretty soon they continued through their turbulence and had a safe landing. But he never was in control to begin with. 
And yet Jim was still trying to take control of something that was fundamentally out of control. So too it comes in our life that it teaches us that it is foolish to trust in yourself over God. It is foolish to disregard, to deny, to decry, and to defy the plans of God because God is determined that his plan will be fulfilled. And so it is a calling for us to turn and to trust, to put our full trust in Jesus Christ alone, for he alone is the one source of blessing in this life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And Heavenly Father, we confess to you, Lord, I confess to you, that many times I don't like your plan. And I don't like what you're doing. And I think that I know how to run the world, or at least run my life, or at least run the lives of other people in my life better than you know how to do so. And I confess that to you as sin. And Lord, I also praise you that you are God and that I am not. That you are my heavenly Father. And because you are in heaven, you can do all things. And because you are my Father, you always do what is right. And Lord, you are the one that is working all things. Even things I don't like, even things I don't understand, even things that I've done wrong, even things out of my control, that you are working all things for my good and for your glory. Father, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. Thank you for your promise in Jesus Christ. Lord, move your spirit within us that we would grab a hold of that promise and trust and rest upon you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.